Hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 115, and today we're going to be talking about a program called Drone Blocks with Dennis Baldwin, its creator. My name's Sean Tiber. I'm a coder that teaches. And my name's Kelly Schuster Paredes, and I'm a teacher that codes. I was sleeping, sorry. I'm still what in a, daydream mode. I've got two days left, Sean. <laughs> what a great summer you've been having, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> excited to welcome Dennis Baldwin to the show today. We're excited to talk with you. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Well, we've got a lot of good stuff to get into about drones and how to program with them and how to, you know, really use that as a as an exciting way to teach. Um, Kelly, any uh, anything in particular that you'd like to share before we get to the wins of the week? Uh, no, I'm going to be quiet and maybe think of something later at the end. <laughs> uh, I thought I thought there was something that you were just itching to get out. So, all right, we'll go on to the no, wins no. of the week. All right. Dennis, uh, you're up first. Something great that's happened inside or outside of the classroom. Or okay. Maybe I'll, I'll share two, if that's okay. A personal one sure. and then a technical. Personal, we uh, just dropped my oldest off for her second year of college at University of Oklahoma. So uh, a win in a sense for her, a loss for us at the house, right? And then my younger daughter just got her first job. She's 16. So we're excited to have our... Um, daughters go out into the world and hopefully do great things. The uh, technical win of the week, um, it's still a bit of a struggle, but we've been uh, doing a lot of work with, um, dare I say it, ChatGPT. I, I was very uh, reluctant to, you know, even mess around with it and um, experiment with it because people, you know, get freaked out about AI. But from my experience, we got a long ways to go. Um, but what we were doing was working with uh, making drone blocks somewhat compatible, like the block coding. So essentially, you would interface with a, a GPT prompt, uh, tell it, hey, here are my blocks. I want to create a mission like teach me uh, the equation of a polygon um, in block coding. And so it would spit out a response after we trained it a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you'd see these blocks on a canvas. So, you know, it's really um, I'll just I'll leave it with. People get scared that, hey, like maybe in the technical space that chat GPT or AI is going to replace jobs. But I think from a fundamental stand standpoint, it's a good like foundation. You can have it do some low level work, right? The work that you might struggle through a little bit and you get to maybe add your your secret sauce or uh, deliver value on top of that. So um, chat GPT has been interesting and we hope to uh, to roll that out to um, our program in the near future. That's super cool. And I think you, you probably just um, had a couple of code block instructors go, what? Yeah. It can, it can, ChatGPT can code blocks too? Because I think that was like their workaround. Oh, we'll use EduBlocks and, and we'll right. just force them to do block coding, you know, instead of like, it's kind of like the handwritten essay. Um, so that's pretty cool. That's, I, I mean, I'm, I, I, from the past experience, um, episodes. I've just been drinking the Kool-Aid of AI, trying to read everything and 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 isolate the sensationalism. But it is an interesting platform, and it does open a lot of doors to creativity and that that idea of what a kid can create when they're not limited by what they don't know. It's kind of like that JIT, that just-in-time learning. So that's pretty exciting. Exciting win. Thank you. Not not as exciting as mine, but Sean will be, Sean will be proud of me. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, Kelly. 
So I'm in preparation for next week is our, our official, official start where I have to go into school. I did delete the three apps that were like sucking out the time of my coding. Sean's like, yeah, just quit. And so I deleted them off my phone. So I'm no longer sitting there playing these mindless games that I do during the summer to like just detox and get away. And so that was officially done today because I, I wanted to <laughs> pick my phone up and I needed to do some things. And I started playing. I'm like, oh, it's gone. I'm deleting. Moving on. New school year, ready to go. So that was a huge win. Just just say no. Yeah, it's a proactive win, right? You're you're ahead yeah. of schedule by saying, I'm going to remove these things out of my life that are blocking my productivity or sucking away time. I have no idea what I'm going to do this weekend. I'll actually have to talk to my family, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> First time for everything, I guess. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, all right. So on my side, uh, the win this week is that I'm uh, away from home. I'm traveling this week back to the corporate mothership. Um, as many of you know, I have uh, several summer interns that are working with us uh, in my day job at Mondelez, and they are presenting their final uh, projects. So they're uh, presenting to our entire organization all the work that they're doing. Um, and it's really gratifying to see these final presentations. It's like vicariously through them, I get to feel that that win. And I know that I remember it's been 20 years since I did my intern presentation, um, what it felt like to be done with that, to have that sense of accomplishment and feeling that you built something and did something really cool and, and interesting and that other people appreciated that. And so it was really wonderful to see them present and to be able to share um, all of their wins with the organization and get that really warm feeling of recognition and support and appreciation. And I have to say, it's one of the things I, I love about my, my new job is just the community support within our technical function is really outstanding. And so it's been really great to, to ensure that those interns could feel that support and encouragement in the process. So it was a big win. We just uh, walked out of the, the first half of that. And tomorrow we get to go back for another session with the remaining interns. So it's pretty exciting and, and fun to, to be able to see this from the front row. And, and the big win is you don't have to do grading after that. <laughs> Oh, no, they're still grading. It's just not letter oh. grades. <laughs> that was, that's yep. the worst part of presentations, I think. And it, the learning's amazing, watching people grow and giving feedback and um, positive and, and um, critical is great. But, you know, when you have to open up the uh, grade book and put in the grades, it's not so much fun. Well, you know, it's funny how being a teacher has changed me when be, before I was a teacher, when I would have to do something like this and give feedback and, you know, critically assess how someone did in a way that helped them grow or helped us understand their their capabilities and potentials. I used to kind of dread that because I didn't know how to do it or I felt uncomfortable or it was awkward. And now that I've been a teacher and I've done it literally thousands of times, it is so much more easier for me to do it. It's easier for me to get into that space where I can be thoughtful and fair and give good feedback. And so I'm really glad that I've been able to incorporate that experience into my professional corporate life as well. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> Always a teacher. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Take we have away. our moments, Dennis. <laughs> I love it. And, and we are super excited to have you. When I saw what you do, I, I, I quickly said, Sean, our next guest is for you. <laughs> so I'll segue there <laughs> to Sean. 
Yeah. So, um, Dennis, welcome to the show. Welcome uh, to to our conversation. We're excited to discuss all of this with you. Um, I think you you have done a lot of the things that I've only dreamed about doing. You know, we talked about those ideas that you have that um, that sometimes are limited by the things you don't know how to do. You've gone off and done it. And so, um, you know, reading your bio is like, wow, that is so amazing that you've done that, that you've worked with those things. Um, so let's start kind of at the beginning, I guess. You're the creator of Drone Blocks now, which is a block-based coding approach to programming drones with a lot more. I mean, that's a very it's a very simplified version of it. But let's talk a little bit about your um, kind of lifelong interest in RC cars, planes, and how that's turned into um, drones and coding and, and so much more. Sure. Well, thank you for, for tapping into a bit of the background because I think uh, that's important and uh, not a question I get, get asked very often. But yeah, so er early you know, years, middle school probably got into RC cars and um, started messing around with planes. But you know, then I had to do that thing called study and uh, focus on you know, what I wanted to be when I grew up. And so uh, that led to a studying engineering in college. Uh, I was an electrical engineer. I say was because I do very little electrical stuff anymore. It's all uh, more uh, software related, but the physical aspects of building drones, soldering, wiring uh, still is probably one of the more important things to me personally, right? It's just a good way to get away from the computer, get hands-on. And so uh, the that love of I guess uh, RC led to you know discovering kind of some of these open source projects, uh, ArduPilot, uh, PX4, and um, then you know in 2015 I guess uh, DJI released an SDK. And having been a software guy since I got out of college, um, I really saw the power of combining you know something that I loved, which is the the RC you know remote control side of things with my professional career of programming. And um, about, I guess, 2015, 2016, I was volunteering at a, a program here, uh, a good friend of ours, she ran it at, at our elementary school called, uh, it's called Tech Team. I'm, I'm outside of Austin in Dripping Springs. And so we started 3D printing drone frames, uh, assembling them, you know, soldering, you know, the ESCs, hooking up the motors, flying them. And of course, kids were like, oh, this is cool, but, you know, we want to put a camera on it. We want to take photos. We want to do all of this stuff. And that's when uh, DJI, the, the Phantom was, as you guys know, the early day drone. And then they started releasing uh, smarter um, hardware, right, with, with the ability to be programmable through the SDK. And so we put together this proof of concept that used a Phantom. And now I look back and kind of cringe if you've seen phantoms are a good size, but we also had an Inspire One, which is a lot larger airframe. And we were using block coding to fly those around outdoors in a field, take photos. And really, it just um, I'm not a educator by trade. I just love open source. I love community and sharing information. So, you know, that led to like saying, OK, well, maybe there's the possibility of developing this app, making it more widely available. And so um, that's sort of how it all began is just out of the classroom, uh, creating the app, making it available, supporting people in, uh, you know, the open source community and really trying to support as much hardware as we, we possibly can. 
Nice. I, I mean, I think like it's such a great, um, you know, great progression as well, because you, you were there at every step along the way as we made that transition from, you know, RC, where it was very manually controlled with a lot of great, you know, electronic support over the years into what became possible with drones and, and even taking it to the next level. So I think what what is interesting to me or where I've been fascinated in drones is that progression from, okay, so we have software assisted drone flying, right? Like the ability for a drone to hover is not because I'm an amazing pilot. It's because the software right. is really good, right? Yes. Um, yeah. But where we really get um, interested in, and where we get fascinating results is when we start applying code and thinking about algorithms and how we can program the drones to respond to different stimuli or to follow up a plan or a pattern. Um, and and what I'm curious about is how that that idea of teaching the plans or teaching the responsiveness, that, you know, treating it more like a robot than an RC aircraft um, was was useful or where it changed things when it came to the students in the elementary school. Did is it was that something that they got excited about or they got into? How did that change for them in the learning process? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So as part of that program, uh, Marissa Vickery, who's a good friend and helped you know get drone blocks off the ground, she was running this um, tech team. And obviously, as you guys know, sometimes you need to reach outside of maybe the classroom and get volunteers, get support. And I, I think around that time, you guys, I'm sure are familiar with our code was getting up and running and, you know, all of that's, I love it, but it's in a browser, right? It's, 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 you know, you're delivering content in a browser, you're, you're moving stuff around on, on the screen. And so the physical aspect of being able to take code, and that's why we introduced a simulator a few years ago is to, to see your code on a screen, how it behaves, and then deploy that to real hardware. So uh, it's probably a long-winded way of answering your question, Sean. It was like the, the um, I don't know if instant gratification of, of, you know, what we do is pretty instant, but just seeing uh, software, you know, digital kind of ideas go to digital and then actually being deployed to the physical world with a, with a real uh, drone is amazing. I would love to personally, I spend a lot of time, you mentioned, you know, RC and the, the airplanes and now we have drones that hover, but there, there's this world in between of the vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. And so that, that to me personally gets really exciting if we could, you know, in the future interface with not only drones that hover and, and fly around, but actually, uh, unmanned winged flight would be really cool. And so I think drones inherently are kind of a cool subject, a, a, a thing, you know, uh, drone racing league and FPV and all of that. And what I, I like to say is that I kind of uh, can make a, maybe a comparison a bit to NASCAR or F1, which are amazing things, but you have like these elite drivers, you know, racing around a course, but you don't have, you don't really see what goes behind the scenes, right? The, the engineering, the mechanical aspects, aspects, the software aspects. So really just trying to, you know, reinforce not only software, but that software is going to run on a physical device that's going to do something in the real world is um, very powerful. And we see it when, when the light bulb, light bulb goes off with students. I, yeah, I, I, thinking about that, one of the things that uh, occurs to me as you're describing this is some work that we did with um, 
little uh, what were those called, Kelly? The little uh, little Wally like drones or uh, robots, the ones we used on the the table, like Vector and um, oh, uh, Cosmo. Cosmo. Are you and, Cosmo? And yeah, and yeah. So we could program these little robots that were relatively inexpensive, probably about the same size as a little Tello drone, like you can use with with uh, drone blocks. But there's something about seeing the code happening in real space that appealed to students, like that they could really get it and understand it in a fundamental way that was harder to do on a screen or on the web. It's that almost like we live in a three-dimensional space, right? We live in this world and to be able to write code that that makes something happen in that space where we live was much easier for them to just quickly understand and process when they could see it happening, they could touch it, they could stop it, they could, you know, see that movement and, and motion. And and it sounds like that's a lot of what you were experiencing with drones, with drones and drone blocks was to be able to take that those conceptual ideas, the theory, and turn it into real space movement, action, sound, stuff that they could see and, and understand really natively. Absolutely. Uh, I'll just, uh, as a side note, the number one thing or uh, most exciting thing for kids is when they drag like the flip block out onto the canvas, right? You see the drone flip like on, on the screen, the simulator. And then, you know, I was the same way. I was like, there's no way this is going to work. And um, Tello and a lot of other drones just do a, an amazing job of, of flipping and holding position. There's a lot going on there to keep that drone in the air one, but for it to main, maintain position. Yeah, I don't think I don't think people believe us. Like you can actually make the drone do a somersault in midair. Like yeah. one second it's hovering yeah. and the yeah. next second it completely flips around and comes right back to hovering and it's the most magical thing you can imagine. It is. I, I was just thinking of that while you were talking both of you because you were saying in a simulator, well, um just this past year, some of my eighth grade boys, you know, it's fun. They get the drones out. I put them out and I, I let them do the sometimes the remote control. And, you know, they have either their phone and we have different types of drones. We have the Tellos and we have also these really tiny, these tinier ones. I I don't remember the name of them. Sorry, I'll look it up later on the show notes. But um, they play around with them and they, they're controlling them. And I said, that's great. You've been controlling them for about two weeks try to do what you just did in code and we had no simulator <laughs> amount of times you know they didn't realize the height of the ceiling and <laughs> and the the flip was great when they finally got that code in and the hovering and it reminds me of the time when sean first introduced the telos i walked into the classroom <laughs> And I almost got taken out by one of the students and the and he caught the kid in with a camera at the exact time. And, it, and it's like this photo that we love um, having. And he's like, oh. <laughs> it only <laughs> takes me out. So in the simulator, is this part, it's part of the, the drone blocks as well? Is that a part of the product? That That's correct. We, we introduced it, you know, unfortunately with COVID and everything. Um, just to, to have a way to sort of carry forward some of the work that we were doing behind the scenes with the hardware. We knew that, you know, and, and so yes, that around that time we have the simulation, it comes with the whole package, but um, I'll just go off on a bit of a tangent. One thing that I've seen, you know, I used to do a lot of mobile uh, software development where, um, you know, you have a simulator or an emulator, iOS or Android, and you get to sort of see on the screen uh, what happens before you deploy your, your code to, to real hardware, right? And so I, I would argue that 
it's probably just as important or not or even more important to be able to see your code so you're not you know running a simulation so you don't fly into a wall or maybe you're you know telling it to land by by descending altitude but but perhaps you have a block that's telling it to go up right so you know being able to see that um simulated before you deploy to real hardware is something that we stress the importance of and it's what you know we also see in industry yeah, it's a you know, Quate. You're not going to put the pilot out there flying the plane before they've. they've right. yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a good point. And and I love that idea. The um, they're not at that costly of bots, but if you're on a public school budget, I, to to break a drone is cringeworthy, right? So that kind of helps. It's not fun to just slam them up against the the ceiling and pray that it didn't break. They are pretty durable. Not going to lie, but not too durable. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I think is important for the the learning process, and and I see this with uh, professionally with writing code as well, is that the the loop or the time between when I make a change or when I write the code and when I can see it. Um, see the effects of that. And then also when I can make a change to improve upon it or to correct some behavior, the shorter I can make that loop, the faster my learning occurs, right? So if, if you think about it, like I can, you know, in the simulator, I can run at double speed, right? So I can like watch my program execute. And then uh, when, if there's an issue, I can fix it quickly and then run it again. I don't have to wait for a drone to charge. I don't have to go find it from across the room or whatever, I can reset and get going again. And I think we saw that a lot with some of the work that we were doing with, um, you know, with uh, autonomous driving cars and with robotic students where they could simulate, check their results and, uh, and then make adjustments. It's that kind of engineering process loop that's really important and simulation makes that happen much faster. That, that's great to hear. I, I'm, I'm impressed that that's happening you know, at a, at a younger age level, it took me a while to really understand the importance of testing code and simulating. Because a lot of times you're like, oh, I want to see this work and I want to see it now. Right. And Sean, to your point, if you can kind of speed up that loop to where you can simulate tests that get you out to the field or, um, you know, in the air faster, uh, even better. So I want to ask, and this is a little side sidebar of my nerdiness side, and actually Sean loves sensors too, but Talk about this data sensor. I, I love this idea, the curriculum behind um, using the drones with with uh, like these those science sensors and everything. The, the data bots. Remind, yeah, the data bots. Right. What's what they're, are they're, those? Uh, an interesting hardware partner of ours, and they uh, run this little, just really cheap board called an ESP32. But they've combined like 15, 16 different sensors in a little cube. And yeah, Kelly, just to be able to, so the, the sensors are interesting and I always struggle as, you know, a software guy, like ideas, how do you use them? Right. And so sitting, obviously sitting on a table, I had this idea the other day, like hooking it to my washing machine, right. Cause it has Wi-Fi, it has Bluetooth, like just to send me a, an email or notification when, when the wash is done, we, we have a real problem in our house where especially my daughters will leave their wash in once it's done. And I, I go to open it and I'm like, dang, I, it's my turn. Right. So, you know, all that to say this device, all of a sudden uh, there's this, I guess, buzzword now IOT, right. Internet of things. You now have connectivity. You can get sensor data, uh, put this thing on a Tello, 
you know, do stuff in real time. And so we have this whole machine learning course that, that we authored around um, Databot just to give people ideas of, of, of what's possible. But yeah, that, uh, that is a really uh, fun device. And we're looking at, you know, more interesting ways of incorporating it into the curriculum. Very cool. We can go out, just fly outside and check the different areas where there's grass or where there's concrete and see the heat index. It's it's just bringing that, that data science into to play and more like a real world uh, connection. I was thinking the other day, I saw FPL, FPL with their drones out and I just sat there and my kids were like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm watching the drones. And they're like, what? Yeah. And so what a great tie-in. I didn't have a question. Yeah. I just thought, and I was like, wow, that's great. Sensors. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll add that, uh, you know, at some point the drone, it's, it's a, it's a, obviously a flying computer, but it's a platform, right? The drone in a, what, what, why did DJI become so successful? Because they have amazing hardware, but the cameras, the cameras are higher quality. You can take photos, you can create maps, you can do video. And so, the drone is secondary. It's all about the, the data that you can acquire. So putting a, a data bot or some sort of uh, sensing capability to hardware and then, you know, showing that, okay, well, in industry, you know, less of the time might be spent flying the drone or, or pr programming the drone autonomously to, to fly and, and map an area. But it's more like, what do you do with the data on the ground? Like, like post-processing, right? analyzing that data, seeing what, what interesting things you can learn from it. Well, it's the tool, right? So it, I think that's one of the things that, that Sean and I like about the computer science curriculum and everything. It's it's the tool and what you're going to do with it. The segue from what you're going to do from learning about drones, you know, kids go in, start playing, great. But if they can automate this code in order to do a specific job that they might want to use in the future. Maybe they are going to be a, a videographer, videographer. Is that correct? How do you, where they, they use the drone yeah, yeah. Yeah. or they fly over a, a sports and maybe they have a certain length of field. So all these possible curriculum ties that teachers can bring into the classroom to con connect, give, give a student a scenario. Okay. You're going to be working for FPL. You're going to be, um, filming messy at interim, you know, <laughs> at, in, in, into Miami program your, your code so that you have to do this link so that it tends to the tool provides the curriculum support for your dream. So it's, it's, it's a fun, a fun aspect to have in the computer science classroom. I think one of the questions I had um, is that I think drones force us to think differently, right? Like you have to think in three-dimensional space, the fourth dimension of time. Where am I going? Where does this happen? It's different than even driving around, a, you know, a, a robot on a table like like we were doing with the Cosmo. Because there I'm thinking about two-dimensional, you know, space and, and where I'm going to move to. Drones require us to think differently. Right, in order for them to work. And, but they also empower us to think differently. A, a helicopter pilot thinks the same way that a drone pilot does, right? Or a F-35 pilot thinks the same way as like a VTOL drone pilot would think. But the difference is I don't have to go to school and be in the military with you know millions of dollars of training under my belt to fly a VTOL fighter jet, right? I have a VTOL drone I can use, or I can 
think differently and the barrier to entry, the cost of entry and the um, even the age of entry is different with these drones and with the, the capabilities here. But I also like the fact that that's combined with the computational thinking. So it's not just about thinking in space and time. It's also thinking about breaking down problems into smaller parts and how to solve those and how to integrate the solution back together. Um, in your experience with drone blocks and you know, the simulator, the real world, the work that you've done with schools, is there like a way or a method that helps like unpack that for students, helps them realize or unlock that that's the way we need to think when we use drones? Is it something that happens gradually or is it something that happens bang right at the beginning? I'm glad you threw that, that gradually thing in there, Sean. I feel like that's, uh, for, for me, that's certainly how it how it happened right and i i was not exposed to to drones you know until about i guess 15 years ago or what i don't know if you guys remember uh, the parrot ar drone it like came out in brookstone and it was like wow this what is this thing right and it had all these capabilities a camera but um yeah so for me i sort of uh my my i guess learning style that you know i try to convey you know through through some of our curriculum and i'm not the only person writing curriculum is is expose um users to as much as possible right like uh, i i was thinking okay i'm gonna get on this podcast with sean and kelly and they're gonna like quiz me on my python knowledge right and i realized you know i touched python a lot in the early days but then i started to realize you know as i mentioned chat gpt it's more like you know, learning, learning, having a, a, a process of understanding, like how you program, right? You, you learn like simple, the fundamentals, variables, strings, booleans, all, all this stuff about programming that can be incorporated or um, taken to any language, right? The, the, the tool, as, as Kelly said, it, it becomes a tool, right? And so, you know, Sean, I think that like exposing them to languages, ex exposing them to gen gen general topics like uh, machine learning with, with a data bot. Well, then all of a sudden, you know, I think prep students to, to maybe take an interest in something and then go into the real world and say, hey, maybe I want to pursue a career in data science because, you know, I did something with uh, a little sensor device called data bot or, you know, I was uh, using block coding um, to, to have this drone kind of repeat this mission, maybe I'll, I'll take an interest at working at an aviation company doing QA, right? To, to be able to repeat, you know, that's, a, that's one thing that we see a lot of people do is create repeatable uh, code. I'll, I'll share a story with, with DJI. They reached out to us a few years ago and their QA team was working on a new drone and they were using drone blocks because they wanted to see the performance of their drone outdoor, right? So to see it go to each location, you know, make sure that the GPS accuracy and everything was there. But um, I guess a long-winded way of, of answering your question, Sean, that I think exposing them to, to uh, as many languages as possible, exposing them to hardware, and really kind of opening the door to, to a different way of thinking to, to where they can kind of maybe become more of a generalist and then kind of hone on, hone in on more of a specialized uh, field of study. And, and I think you hit that for us, for me in the middle school and even, even venturing into high school, that generalist idea of introducing them to languages, introducing them to the skills that are transferable is, is like your prime, 
yours being a teacher's primary goal. And I was sitting there thinking, um, for any teacher that's probably going, well, how am I going to get drones or how am I going to get this approved? You know, this is critical thinking. This is algorithmic, um, you know, algorithmic thinking. This is spatial awareness. you, You can't even imagine the sixth graders that grab this thing and don't really can't really fathom the room that's around them and their drone and, and how they're drawing or flying. Um, you want to add any other skills that you guys have talked about through your curriculum? Yeah. So I think, um, <clears throat> we, we do, uh, where I spend, uh, Oh gosh, I, I, I jump around from different languages, you know, JavaScript. Now we have node, which is server side. There's node red, which is almost like a, flow-based programming, you could think it's maybe, uh, we'll call it visual, right? It's, it's very similar to Blockly where you can embed logic into each of the, uh, the blocks. Um, so Python, JavaScript, uh, Node-RED, we just released uh, probably earlier this year, uh, a JavaScript library uh, for the, the Go One. It's, it's this quadruped uh, robot. And it really just allows people to, what, what I try to reinforce is there's the languages and and uh, I think languages are important. I don't think that anybody should say, hey, this is the one language, but it's then understanding how you get access to that code. You, you know, there's a lot of open source code out there. You fork it, you set up your environment, boom, you're, you're up and running. So, you know, the, that, that's more of the technical side of things. Right. And then we want to really kind of evolve towards, um, you know, we're working on this this new hardware. Uh, it's PX4 based where you're learning a little bit more what goes on beneath the hood, because I feel like we we claim we're in the STEM field. Right. But a lot of what we focus is on, on is computer science. And I think there's there's a part of that we're missing. It's it's assembling. And like I talked about earlier, like soldering, um, soldering might be going a little bit far. You know, we're, I'd love to have a conversation with you guys in the future. Like is soldering in the classroom crazy? Yes, we, but... No, we love soldering. That's okay. that was one of the skills that Sean brought in and it is. Oh, that's amazing to hear. Yeah. He I want to <laughs> send you guys a kit then and, and just, it's very early stage, but the point is assembling, configuring, learning how things work. Right. And then, then you're in the world of, okay, now I can program it, but I also understand some of the fundamentals. Um, so, uh, I know that was long-winded, but you know, aside from the the software aspects, is really kind of getting under the hood and teaching some of the physical aspects of of the uh, the hardware. Well, that that just really got me excited because I was going to ask you about quad the the Go One, but I'm going to go we can go sure. back to that later. The soldering of of the drones for me, that's like the full picture. If you can sort of imagine the kids playing with uh, the Legos or the Spike Prime. Even to this day, I put a box of Legos with a robot and the kids are going to spend more time creating what's going to go on that bot and and the, the gadgets that's going to take out the next bot or the sensors. And they'll spend, you know, 85 percent of the time building the bot and 15 percent of the time coding sometimes. And you have to remind them, you know, it's about the movement. But there's something that happens when kids can get their hands on that hardware, even the soldering of a little ladybug that lights up a couple lights and it has some, some resistors. That's always said from the kids, 
that's my best class. That's my favorite class is that soldering class. So you hit the hit the nail right on the on the top because it's a big component for kids to say, I made this and now I'm coding it. So kudos to you on that. I didn't hear, know about that. John, you want to add? No, I was just going to say um, soldering is a huge win, right? And it, I, it was a surprising, I mean, I thought it would be good, but it ended up being, to Kelly's point, a lot of kids' favorite activities. And, I, and a lot of them got into this Zen state of just, I'm soldering, I'm focused, I'm not, I'm tuning out the rest of the world and I'm, I'm doing this. And I, I think a lot of, um, for a lot of students that also built a sense of confidence that if they can do something like that, that's intimidating at first, right? Holding a 700 degree soldering iron and, you know, and, and melting metal together and, and like making these joints and all like, it's just, they just got this sense of satisfaction out of it that like, if I can do that, there's other things that I can do too. Like I, I don't have to be scared by these things. And I love the idea of going into drones as a next step, because now it's something that they can take to the next level and say, I, I made this thing and now it's flying, right? That's a huge win and, and just a, a big confidence booster for our students to be able to have that sense of accomplishment and the sense of a real accomplishment, not just something that was, oh, I followed some instructions and it was a kid. It was it was real challenging work and they did it. Well, I have to say thank you guys for a bit of the enlight enlightenment here because um, you know, I, I think one of our success criteria that we've been trying, you know, the bar that we've set for the kid is like no soldering, right? And, you know, may, maybe there's a solder version, maybe there's a solderless version. Um, but for me personally, Sean, I, I, I like the way you said it. For me, soldering is a, a bit of therapy, right? It's just, I get to go over here, I get to tune my iron, I get to, yeah, melt metal together. It's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. I, I enjoy it. Very cool. I wanted to Quick switch gears a little bit. Oh, Go, yeah. ahead. Go ahead. No, you can switch. I'll let you switch. I always am the one that switches. Okay. Well, it wouldn't be a talk about drones if we didn't talk about hardware and like what people should be looking at. And this is very selfishly for me too, because my my drone and one that I've gotten so much joy out of using and, and so much utility out of using is a DJI Mavic Pro, like first generation, came out five or six years ago phenomenal drone right and if i were to upgrade it to the latest mavic pro it's it's even more incredible but i wanted to ask for recommendations to get started with you know both drones that are compatible with drone blocks that work really well for um for teaching different things as well as what may be good for professional development or personal professional development around building drones understanding how they work and we can kind of divide it up into you know airborne drones versus robots and but let's just start with if i'm a teacher and i want to get um, some drones that will work with drone blocks maybe five or six of them just to get going in the classroom is the tello the best place to start are there other drones out there you know where where should be people be making their wish lists for hardware you know, when I get asked this question, Sean, and I was kind of like, uh, I hope Sean or, or Kelly don't ask this question, but it's been asked because I don't want to sound like a DJI fanboy, yeah. but DJI makes the best hardware out there, right? And so the Tello, and, and, and let, maybe we could draw a distinction, I don't know if this helps, is indoor versus outdoor, right? Because yep. um, there were days when we were flying Phantoms indoor and I, I indoors, and I think that's, we were, we didn't know any better, right? Um, but Tello for indoor precision flight, programmable flight is, is, 
is certainly the best out there. And there, there are different models as you guys probably are aware. There's Tello, Tello EDU, and then Tello Talent. And so standard Tello, you know, you can get at Walmart. It's very uh, programmable with drone blocks. The Tello EDU has a little bit more capabilities with mission pads where it can, all the drones will hold position, but the mission pads can actually sort of relocate, uh, drone can relocate to to localize on a certain pad, pad number three or pad number six. So you can sort of navigate around uh, more, more maybe similarly to like how you would navigate outdoors with GPS. And then the TeleTalent has a little add-on ESP32 sensor. So that that's the indoor stuff. Now getting back to your question, Sean, of like, if you're going outdoors, obviously Mavic Minis, you know, are, are, are incredible. They're, they're tiny, they're relatively safe. Um, they have great cameras on them. We unfortunately weren't, were not able to support the Mavic Mini. Uh, years ago, it was announced and we don't have full access to GPS um, interface like the, the SDK. Uh, and so you sort of, there's some challenges there, right? Like the Mavic Pro, you can just, you know, tell it to go wherever and, and the GPS waypoints followed i don't know uh we've had many conversations about with dji about the mavic mini but um so so outdoors currently where we stand we don't we haven't put a lot of focus on that when tello was released we said okay we want to focus on in classroom um curriculum hardware and then we want to see where we can go from there and so that's where this new drone uh, which is px4 based px4 is this autopilot open source incredible community behind it. Our, our pilot is another, where now you'll be able to uh, build, uh, configure. We, we've worked hard to get uh, position hold indoors. It uses a couple of sensors, a, a range finder, and then optical flow for it to be able to hold position and be programmable. That then can be taken outdoors to do very similar things by um, adding a GPS to it, right? A lightweight, a cheap GPS unit. So that, that's more of the I'll call it kit DIY, you build it yourself. But for, you know, outdoor, like if we have these conversations every week, what what outdoor hardware can we support? And, you know, the only thing that we keep coming back to is like maybe Skydio. Skydio is like probably one of the better uh, consumer, prosumer drones, but we haven't really uh, gotten full access to their SDK. So long-winded way of, of saying that we haven't um, cracked the uh, outdoor a drone nut just yet. Well, that's okay. There's plenty you can do indoors, right? Like there's, yeah, there's... exactly. <laughs> and and it's much and, easier to control the temperature and weather too. So yes, yes. And and the the other challenge is we started we partnered um, with a a group to do part 107 curriculum. As you know, there's all the the regulations of outdoor flight and what happens if you're in you know airspace and all of that. So we just you know, it, 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 benefit, uh, it benefited us to focus on indoors, have simulation, and then that's the starting place and, and we'll grow from there and uh, obviously watch what the, what the regulations do over time. Yeah. And just to add some, while these, some teachers are thinking, they're looking at the price, the Tello is about what, 140 or something from Amazon. Right. And they, you don't have to have a class set. We don't have a class set at, at Pinecrest. We have, I think, four or five. And you share out, you code, you test. And with the simulation, I'm assuming everyone has to make a, a, 
a simulated flight that actually works before you can put it onto a, a drone itself. So that's like a tidbit for teachers just to kind of think about maybe one or two if you can get the budget. And then the other thing, just from experience with the little kids, um, we have these nets that are built so it kind of stays in a certain area of the room and safer and safety goggles is always a good thing to get around and to make sure you have on so that your division heads don't get mad at you. I'm not that it hurts them. There's not, but you never know. <laughs> that's, that's actually very smart, Kelly. We, we, uh, about three years ago partnered with Bell, you know, it used to be Bell helicopter. Now it's Bell flight and they have a, um, annual competition called ABR, the, uh, aerial, Sorry. Uh, yes. Aerial vertical robotics. They changed the name, but, um, and we, we've, we've supported them through documentation, helping with the build, but it's a larger drone, right? It's a competition where you're navigating around putting out simulated fires and the whole, uh, competition is done within a, a netted area because these things have like nine, 10 inch propellers on them. So I'm, I'm always an advocate of, of safety. Don't always, follow it maybe in, in the lab or in the garage, but um, certainly in, a, in an environment where students are around, we do. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really good point. Things happen fast with drones and it's, yeah, right. it's something that you wanna make sure that you are thinking of before it happens. So, so definitely a good call out to think about safety and how to, how to plan for that as part of your curriculum as well. And they sometimes fall behind the, the wipe, the, the projector whiteboards that you have so make sure you don't <laughs> fly around there because getting one stuck in there is never fun. Yeah, but it's also kind of like finding, finding quarters in the couch, right? Like if you find a drone later, you're like, Ooh, <laughs> exciting. <laughs> like stop running it. No, a lot of fun. Um, a lot of fun to be had with drones real quick. The robot dog. Cause it was so cute. And some people would say it's not really cute, but what is, is that part of drone blocks? What is, what yeah, is the robot? So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, like I said, part of me, you know, if you've been in the industry for a long time, you kind of, I think I'm generally, I'm an optimist when it comes to software and what's going on there. And then I can be a bit of a pessimist when it comes to like hardware and, you know, you can, Imagine all the bad things that that people can dream up to do with drones or with robot dogs, the quadruped. But um, we have a, a great relationship with with Unitree, and one of uh, our partners has uh, you know imports them, and we we work together to sort of bring uh, DroneBlocks compatibility to Go One, right? And then you know being able to because I, I would love for us to sort of identify maybe the, the best of breed for each kind of uh, hardware platform and then for drone blocks to support it. So right now, indoor drone flight, it's Tello, it will be PX4, and then now we support the, the Go One uh, quadruped. And so that's the drone block support. But then, as I mentioned earlier, we released this JavaScript library that allows you to, to do autonomous control, right? And so the, the dog Obviously, the, the mechanics of, of how this thing walks and, and navigates is absolutely um, incredible. And for your listeners that might not be familiar with it, I'm sure uh, you might be, you, you may be familiar with the Boston Dynamics uh, robots, uh, the spot, right? Yeah. And those are, those are much bigger, you know, uh, the, the Go One is smaller in size. It's still, I think, about 25 pounds, if, if I recall. Um, but we saw it as a way to create another 
opportunity to engage, you know, students in a classroom, right, to, to learn programming, programming, but to see, you know, the output, right, of, of taking their code, whether it's uh, Python, the, the block programming, JavaScript, and, and, and being able to navigate around. And there's, we're getting close to releasing a course that shows how to do color detection, like computer vision stuff uh, with the hardware. So we saw it as a as an opportunity to create more engaging content, um, not not to be done in a, in a you know, we, we're not trying to advocate anything dangerous or, or malicious, right? It's just a, a platform where we see kind of the robotics industry heading. Very cool. Yeah, I first saw it and I was like, oh, that looks like spot, just not yellow. Right. <laughs> I asked for a spot, but they said no. I mean, I, the last we heard, they're like they're seventy five thousand, I, I think, something along those lines. So yeah, I got, I got a, I got a laugh, and I was like, <laughs> but it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I do exploratory robots, and um, for me, the drones are a hit. I, anything that's robotic is considered exploratory robot for me. So I'm always about buying the one off bots and exploring them yeah that's cool we've had a uh, handful of, of schools purchase them and uh like dress them up with you know wrap them or whatever and make them like a school mascot right so it's it's the, the I, I love you know working with teachers because they're so creative they're so resourceful right and if you know they get a grant or an opportunity to purchase something you just the stuff that we see um people do is, is really cool that's it. I'm going to make a panther out of the quadruped. <laughs> Sorry. We need, we need a grant for, a grant for teaching Python. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. We need I a like grant that. ourselves. <laughs> Maybe the they'll give that to us. teaching Python. <laughs> Very cool. Nice. Well, I know we're running a little bit, a uh, little bit short of time, but I wanted to uh, just give a chance, Dennis, for you to, to share the best way to get in touch with you to get to learn more about drone blocks, you know, if people want to learn more if they're intrigued by this, and how could you not be intrigued by this uh, this topic? Uh, where do they get started? How do they connect with you? So you could you're more than welcome to e email me personally. Uh, it's just db Dennis Baldwin letter D letter B at droneblocks.io. We also have support at droneblocks.io if you have a more generic question. And then I always always advocate because I'm. Uh, supporter of community. I love to get back, give back because I've gotten so much from online forums. We have a forum at community.droneblocks.io. Very cool. Excellent. Well, I will definitely be uh, hanging out there a little bit more often. I'm already looking at the, uh, the Tello talent. I think it's got a lot of cool stuff that we could do with it and have some fun with it. Um, I think for, go ahead, Kelly. I said, I see this as the, on our Christmas wish list, you know, I, Sean, we put a wish list out and I can see Sean's already like, this is what I'm buying. <laughs> yeah. I'm not waiting till December. I mean, <laughs> please put a PX4 drone kit on your wish list, Sean, so we can, you know, get some more beta testers. Absolutely. I, I'm, I will fire up the soldering iron and we'll make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. So I guess uh, that pretty much does it for this week. We're going to um, wrap up here. Dennis, thank you for sharing all this great information with us and, and getting us to dream. I think it's, um, you know, it's funny. It, 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 I think they always put it on every documentary about the Wright brothers, about, you know, flying that, you know, we've 
as humans, we've always dreamed of flight, right? Like the, this is something we think about, we dream about. And one of the things I love about drones is that it makes flight more accessible to more people. It makes it something that a kid can do. It makes something. It makes it something that um, someone who may not be able to fly for physical limitations can have a drone and even be present, you know, through FPV to be able to see what it would feel like to fly like a bird. So what you're doing with drone blocks and what you're doing to empower and enable people to think about flight and to transport themselves in a new different way and to think differently in a new different way is really powerful and really compelling. And so just thank you for sharing that with us and, and helping us dream for a little bit during the show today. It, for me, it meant a lot. I know Kelly's smiling over there because it means a lot to her too. Absolutely. Well, I, I just genuinely appreciate the the, the good words, and I, I thank you for having me on. Well, our it's our pleasure. And we'll definitely have you back to talk more about, about drones in the future. Um, I think for us, we are uh, have a whole lineup of guests coming over the next uh, few weeks. Kelly's been hard at work lining up a, a really great lineup uh, to talk about a variety of topics. So for our listeners, stay tuned. If you enjoyed this episode, there's plenty more coming. Um, uh, we'd ask as, as a favor, you know, we put a lot of time and effort into this show and we love doing it because it means we get to talk to great people like Dennis. Um, help spread the word, help um, share this podcast or this episode with someone else, leave a review for us on your podcast player of choice, whether that's iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this, leave us a review and, and help us out by sharing the word. Um, if you have feedback for us, things that we can do or ideas for how we can add more to our show, please share this uh, with us through our website at teachingpython.fm or through Twitter at teachingpython. We're always excited to hear from our guests and hear ideas and opportunities. Um, it really has become a community around teaching uh, coding and computer science, and we're grateful for each of you for listening to us and, and sharing with us. Uh, Kelly, is there anything I'm forgetting in terms of upcoming episodes, guides, new stuff on the way that people should be looking out for? No, not um, not so much. I just wanted to say that if you have a suggestion for a guest, also email us. We got Dennis's name from a guest, and I was trying to remember the name. I'm sorry. Thank you who sent that to me. Um, I forgot to pull that one up. But yes, they said you have to have Dennis on. He He's amazing, doing a lot of great things with drones. So if you know someone else like that, just shoot us an email, and we will do our best to get in contact with them. All right. Well, one more time. Thank you again, Dennis, for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you. So for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly signing off.